Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, 106.5 FM, WFMP-LP, Louisville. You can find out a little bit more about us if you go to forwardradio.org. And if you go to that website, we're live streaming now. You can just uh, click on a button, and you can listen to us on your uh, smartphone tablet, PC, uh, MacBook, uh, from anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, we've got a great guest for you today. We've got Mila. Mila is a peace and justice activist from Louisville, Kentucky, who's been involved with the struggle for over 20 years. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be in good company with good people and progressive spirits. So, uh, Mila, we're in a, so a, an interesting time in history. And so, you know, we've had a, 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 a huge struggle for uh, justice around police issues in the fa- past few months and issues. And you, of course, have been involved with that previous to uh, Breonna Taylor. You've been involved with that as well. You've done uh, political organizing as well. So you've worked on a variety of issues over the years. So when you look at our world now, look at our city, look at our state, look at our country, what do you see? It's that there's that saying that the more things change, the more things stay the same. So the same thing we were fighting for with the Kentucky Alliance 20 years ago with CAPA, Citizens Against Police Abuse, are the same things that we're fighting for today. You know, in 2020, we're finally getting a civilian review board Isn't that what we were barking about (laughs) literally 20 years ago, you know, and the people who were really instrumental of even drawing up a plan for a civilian review board are not even the people asked to be on it today. So I definitely have um, an issue with that when it comes to what we're seeing nowadays, you're definitely seeing things come to light because of cameras on the phones and everyone having that kind of technology in their pocket and then social media we're exposing some of our dirt what's done in the dark will come to the light you know black people have always been you know abused by the police and sometimes it's only the most heinous crimes that get exposed so before we even talk about black people who've been murdered by police what about some of the things that we worked with people with 20 years ago with kappa people getting kicked downstairs and their skull cracked and their spines damaged and, you know, broken bones and all of this by not just police officers, but people that are in law enforcement. So, yes, it's definitely been a a long struggle where we have to revisit some of the same issues over and over. And, um, of course, uh, the famous uh, sort of uh, quote that's taught in uh, black studies, uh, like the first class, there's a quote from Neely Fuller. Neely Fuller's famous line is, uh, until you understand white supremacy, everything else will, will only confuse you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's never been more true. I mean, you look at the elections, uh, uh you know, the majority of white women voted for Trump twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the people of Kentucky, a uh, majority of the people of Kentucky uh, voted uh, uh, 
you know, against their economic interests. But uh, it seemed like um, they voted for the party that didn't offer them anything mm-hmm. uh, in policies that would benefit them. They voted for the party that would that supports white supremacy. That's all that uh, the party they voted for offered them, right. and that's what they voted for. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, and so, that's kind of where we are. Uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, folks choose to remain hopeful. Or now, are you in the group that uh, has chosen to be to remain hopeful uh, because we have a, a president that's uh, well, uh, not Trump. Uh, are you in the group that's hopeful? Uh, not really. I'm in the group that's ready to leave. So hashtag repatriation. This is a movement where African descendant people can move back to Africa and realize that their life over there will we be way better than our lives over here. When it comes to white supremacy, the question is, what does white supremacy been to? White supremacy only bends to two things. That's violence and money. There has to be fear. If there is no fear on their end, then why would things change? If they can keep their jobs and they can keep their everyday livelihood and they can keep their um, physical maintenance, then why would it matter that there's bloodshed amongst black people? Okay, regardless of who the perpetuator is. And so in all honesty, if black people aren't cre- are not creating that fear in the souls of white people, then white supremacy isn't going anywhere. You know, so when it comes to money and violence, um, let's talk about money for a second. We know that white supremacy cracked a little bit when the Montgomery bus boycott took a hit on uh, a government financial pot. So the African-Americans back then, and we're talking about Montgomery, Alabama, decided to divest Okay, divesting is when you take your resources and your money away from a system. They decided to divest from the tr- public transit system. What happened? They end up getting what they wanted. Okay, but it didn't happen in pieces. It happened in bulk, as in majority of the African Americans. Of course, we know it wasn't everybody, <laughs> but they were organized enough for the majority of the African Americans to divest, and they had enough organization to where they said, hey, we'll get you from point A to point B. Don't even worry about it. We'll figure this out. The few blacks that have cars, that have um, vans, and that have buses, and this, that, and the third, we will take care of you. Don't worry. You'll get from point A to point B. They took care of their elders. People, you know, use bikes. They use um, their their legs. (laughs) They did whatever it was they needed to do to get from point A to point B. And, of course, it was uncomfortable. Of course, it was hard. You know, they had to disrupt uh, normal natural patterns in order to get this justice. So that's one of those symbols that we have when it comes to looking in the past. Um, Staying on the topic of money, finances, you know, from the 1930s to the 1970s, you know, I just shot you that article. The Nation of Islam had an economic stronghold that was not just for Muslim people. They were for all black people. They created resources from the, for themselves. They created their own goods from the manufacturing, producing end, all the way down to distribution, all the way down to retail. Okay, when you can recycle that black dollar within your own community, you don't worry about white supremacy as much. It doesn't affect you as much. Local government, statewide government, national government knows like, hey, we need to be doing something in order to get these people's money because they can 
they can divest anytime they want. They can retract it anytime they want. And that's really, really where black power um, comes into play. And then on the violence end, you know, if people feel like somebody's going to run up in their house, burn their house down, you know, hurt them physically, please believe they'll sing a different tune. No matter how racist they are, they'll speak differently. If they feel like, you know, something is going to change drastically in their life that's uncomfortable as heck, please believe they will bend. So uh, when it comes to, um, you know, returning to Africa, of course, Stokely Carmichael, a great civil rights uh, leader from uh, the 60s here in the States, uh, former leader of SNCC, and he went to Africa because he said that... Uh, that if he stayed in the States, uh, he felt like he would either uh, end up dead or in jail. So he, he spent a, a very useful and productive life uh, in, uh, in, in Africa. And I, I do remember Stokely, it's a strange, uh, uh, it was doing an interview with Stokely here in the States uh, right, right before he died. And, uh, you know, he was like, he was president of his junior high school class and and the motto, his like slogan when he was running was uh, "Okie dokie with Stokely." So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's just strange. Uh, like Stokely Carmichael was a human being, you know. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, he was a kid uh, going to school, going to college, and then the civil rights movement happened. Then he mm-hmm. uh, did what he did. Then he spent a you know productive life in Africa. So, uh, so yes, uh, uh, J.T. Woods, uh, of course, passed away this year, and as mm-hmm. I understand, his ashes are going to be scattered in, in, in Africa. That's oh, what, okay. Yeah, if you remember J, J.T., uh, outstanding individual. Um, so, uh, yes. Uh, I think the question is, what does freedom look like for black people? I think everyone has their own opinion, and that's very subjective. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Hey, what state are you in mentally emotionally physically when you feel like you're truly free like right here in the united states and that would be an interesting you know conversation to have with people who are in different walks of life people who are in social justice and then people who are not in social justice people black people from different income brackets what exactly does freedom look like because i think if we're not all on the same page of what it is then maybe we can't necessarily move in the same direction, there's nothing wrong with being hopeful when it comes to politics. You know, our ancestors died for the right for us to vote. But look about think about what happened to Trayvon Martin. He was an unarmed minor who got hunted down and killed by someone. Laws were pulled out of the blue, out of the sky to protect this killer. No one heard of Stand Your Ground until the Trayvon Martin incident who do we have in office? We have a black president. I know the president doesn't control, you know, that aspect of the law, but when it's all said and done, talking about symbolism. So does it really matter who's in politics? It's shown from the beginning of time till today. We've had all kinds of different politicians, people who were considered very liberal, people who weren't, people who had this great economic plan, healthcare plan, this, that, and the third, black people, brown people, white people. Um, and it's still kind of the more things change, the more they say the same. Well, the United States has kind of a distinctive form of racism. Uh, we're learning, for instance, that apartheid in South Africa was modeled on Jim Crow here in America. Right. They studied what America had been doing. Right. 
and made it into law uh, uh, over there in South Africa. Even the Nazis in Germany studied the racial policies of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the United States has been kind of a leader in white supremacy and racism. Uh, Right. uh, And so, and it's interesting historically that, uh, you know, black people always have been told, well, you need to educate yourself, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's always been said, well, the other groups that come over, they're more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chinese, the so-and-so, the this. But you know what? It's not true. That is, blacks coming out of the Civil War, coming out of slavery, started successful farms, started successful businesses. And whenever they became successful... They got lynched or they got bombs dropped on their head like Black Wall Street. Exactly. Exactly. So black people have done everything that they... uh, They have passed every test with an A, but after the fact, the A is changed to an F. Right. And so the blacks have done everything that every other group has done. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about... Everything that the Asians have done, blacks have done. Everything that the Jews have done, blacks have done. But every A is changed after the fact to an F. Right. And and then there's a sort of state of denial. And then you'll even find uh, blacks who are so desperate to get up uh, that, and, you know, we've got, we've got one that's Attorney General of Kentucky, that they will uh, essentially... Uh, 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 rule against and fight against their own people. Just Crabs so, in a barrel. Just so they can uh, climb a few steps up, up, up the ladder. Willie Lynch syndrome. <laughs> and uh, uh, and you have there's always a, a few black scholars who will uh, are quite willing to go out there and condemn uh, black people because they know there's always a, a white think tank that will hire them. Paycheck. Exactly, to to do that kind of stuff. So once again, what exactly does freedom look like? You know, we have a situation now with a social reformer who's trying to start a school for black children, a private school. Now, keep in mind, I work for the public school system. I know the difference between a private school and a charter school and a full public school. And the reason why he wants a private school is because you create and control your own curriculum. You know, you have control from top to bottom, from front to back. And that's the only way, you know, you can have a real Afrocentric type school or a system to raise these black children. in, And it's going to be a a boarding school. And I'm not going to mention the scholar because he's, I guess, quote unquote, controversial. And it's black people that are trying to shut down his school. <laughs> it's black people that are vandalizing the building. It is black people who are calling the IRS on him, calling the state, calling the certification board. It is black people who are working hard towards his demise. But they say they want to be free. So I'm confused. You know, when it comes to leaders, seems like African-Americans are only comfortable with leaders that talk about intangibles, things like freedom and equality and atonement, things that you can't see and touch. But then when a free, when a leader comes and says, hey, we need to open up our own grocery stores to feed ourselves and we need to have our own clinics to heal our, ourselves, we need to have our own schools to educate our own children, then people step back and say, wait, well, I don't know. That, that sounds like work, you know, or they don't want that person to be successful in this mission and have the accolades that comes with it. You know, like I wasn't able to accomplish that. Therefore, let me hate on him or her. And it's sad. Um, 
And so, uh, so where do we go? I mean, uh, that is interesting that, uh, you know, everybody, you know, wants Joe Biden to succeed. He's, uh, of course, president-elect of the United States now. But think about Joe, you know, good old Joe. Is a, Joe didn't really have a constituency. He's like the only person in the, in the nominating process that did not have a strong, energetic, motivated constituency. I mean, other folks did. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, even uh, Cory Booker, you know, people like that. They had energetic constituencies. The mm-hmm. only person who didn't have an energetic constituency. He didn't feel like he had to because he was Obama's homeboy. He felt like he already had that stamp of approval. And for anyone who was satisfied with Obama, he automatically felt like he was going to get those votes. And um, to an extent, that was true. And he knew where the real power was in this country. He knew the real power was with black women because we will mobilize and organize. And he was like, well, let me get this black girl on my team and then I'll get all those votes. So he had a formula. He was strategic. And uh, um, um, yeah, so 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 there you have it. Uh, and so, of course, uh you know, wish him all the best. I will mm-hmm. say that, of course, on Forward Radio, we do not endorse uh, political candidates or political mm-hmm. parties and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, so we'll see. Um, but if we want to talk politics, you know, we don't have to go with any side. Sometimes you do wonder on the local level because um, it's important to talk, you know, local why things turn out the way they do. You know, let's talk about the Senate. You know, people say that um, Mitch McConnell's been in there too long. We need something else. We need a change. But the person who was going against them didn't seem like they were really fighting hard enough. So I was confused about that. Well, the interesting thing about uh, Amy McGrath and the candidate before her, Allison Lundgren Grimes, was they had enough money to win because mm-hmm. uh, the Democratic Party establishment sent money in. But uh, uh it's just my opinion, but neither one of those candidates wanted to be embraced or by or fully embraced the the black, the brown, the gay, the Mexican. The they Muslim. played the middle. They took the Hillary Clinton route, and that's why she wasn't successful. What she was trying to do, I think, because maybe Amy McGrath felt like she was a woman. Who knows? She wanted to get voters that usually vote Republican. Okay. I'm not saying that that formula will never work, but history shows us that it didn't. It doesn't work. Like you can't say, "Hey, I don't want people to look at me as being too liberal, so let me speak on things that I know Republicans like and try to get those voters to vote for me." So she talked about being in the Marines. We know a lot of Republicans like that. You know, military. She said her husband was a Republican, so she put that on out there. Um, she, you know, talked a lot about being a mom and family and things of that nature physically she focused on the rural districts a lot more i didn't see her downtown at all uh, and that's just me maybe i just <clears throat> wasn't present and i'm talking about obviously louisville and she never spoke out about what happened with the voting you know in the primaries how the biggest district in kentucky with the most black people had one not a couple but one a voting poll i don't care how early people could have voted, mailing in, this, that, and the third, to only have one voting poll for the primaries, we knew what they were trying to do. We knew what that was about. It was to suppress the black vote. 
after everything happened, we know that with those mail-in votes, there was a, a faulty system with that because 8,500 roughly mail-in ballots got sent back. Come on now, because they didn't do two signatures or they did the one signature in the wrong place or something. That's why I knew I wasn't going to mail mine in. But when it came to the person that people thought could somewhat affect change in the Senate, she focused so much on playing the middle and getting those Republican votes to go ahead and cross party lines and vote for her that she didn't focus on the demographic or the populations that probably would have voted for her. She definitely didn't want to play to the image that the Republicans said she was. They said she was too liberal for Kentucky. So instead of her saying like, you know what? Yep, sure am. Let me go over here and pander to these people who probably could see me as being you know, beneficial to them. She basically came out and said, no, not really. You know, I, I think just like you guys over here. And she wasn't successful. Exactly. And so the reality of it is that um, you can win statewide with Louisville, Lexington, and the Blue Pockets if the people come out to vote, if they overperform. That's how Andy Bashir got to be governor, because Louisville, Lexington, and the Blue Pockets overperformed. The Mayberry vote went to Bevin in 2019. And so to me, uh, 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 you know, somebody, if. Uh, if somebody on Amy McGrath's team could actually do math, they would just say, hey, uh, we need Louisville and Lexington to overperform. We need the Blue Pockets to overperform. That's how you win. Uh, you know, the Mayberry vote is going to go with Mitch McConnell. That's what that's what that is. Mm-hmm. And when I say Mayberry, folks, of course, I'm talking about the mythical uh, small town and rural areas. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are not, uh, don't watch TV or never watch uh, TV. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and there's a certain level of supremacy that Kentuckians like. They like the fact that he was the Senate majority leader. They're like, we want to keep this going. We want Kentucky to be the, the leader in the Senate, regardless of whether it benefits them on an individual level. But that was something that made people feel good. So that's why they wanted to keep him in. So, um, yes. So, but uh, as far as now, as far as the people in the small towns, rural areas, Kentucky is 90% white. Now, the the people in the small town and rural areas, they have been told by Rush Limbaugh and Fox News that the reason that they are poor is because that the blacks, the gays, the Mexicans, the Muslims are getting too much. Mm-hmm. That is, the blacks in Louisville are riding in, riding in Cadillacs that got off the welfare money. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so they don't, nobody has told them that the reason that they are poor is because Mitch McConnell wants them to be poor. Mm-hmm. They, nobody has told them the reason they're poor is because uh, Donald Trump and Mitt Romney want them to be poor. Mm-hmm. Nobody, uh, because the Democratic Party is unable to articulate uh, in a way, in that way. Mm-hmm. They just refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, therefore, they're sort of losing ground here in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel about uh, politics on the local level here, right here in Louisville? Politics on the local level, uh, things are changing. Things are shaking up. Um, Once again, politics as usual is politics as usual. So I don't get too caught up in being, oh, super excited with certain individuals being in office. But I do like how they are putting pressure on um, LMPD. You know, they're when it comes to civilian review board, all these addendums that they want and some of the new rules that they're having now as far as, you know, use of force and them not able to showcase that as much as they have in the past. I do like how Metro Council is putting pressure on Mayor Fisher, who needs to go. Uh, He's 
racist. He needs to go. Um, his condescending attitude towards Brianna Taylor's family was just ugly. You know, his whole attitude of, oh, well, I can't fire these police officers because of these contracts, this, that, and the third. Look, their contracts with their union is no different than my contract. You know, working for the school system, very similar wording. And the contract that he mentioned, you can Google it and pull it up. And I read all the sections. And there's nothing in there that says... You can't fire someone for doing something wrong. So there was fallacies with his rhetoric. We know those police officers did a lot of things that were wrong. You know, they didn't have body cameras on. They lied in the um, police report. They weren't cooperating with the investigation line through all of that. They weren't communicating correctly. The young man who they were looking for was arrested at 12 and they busted in that girl's house at 1245, you know, talking about. Brianna Taylor, like, why are you still executing this warrant? And dude is already in custody. Obviously, they were looking for drug money. They were trying to rob her. There were so many things that they were doing wrong. Obviously, shooting haphazardly throughout the whole entire apartment complex. There were so many things that they were doing wrong to where all of them should have been fired. You know, where was the where why they body cameras weren't on? Like what? And then they left after the girl died and then came back and then tried to clean up their story. I mean, they didn't even get any kind of help to her inside. We learned about that later. And then the, you know, detective that asked for the warrant, he lied. He said he communicated with United States Postal Service. Postmaster General came out and said, uh-uh, you a lie. <laughs> and then he did not talk to us. And we never told you there were suspicious packets, packages coming to that. Apartment. So with all of that being said, why haven't all of them been fired? I know people are putting so much pressure on, you know, Attorney General General Daniel Cameron, but they're still getting our taxpayers' dollars. They're still on the payroll. So that's a, uh, a phenomenon. Uh, there are other there are black leaders that believe that if Fisher had fired the three officers from the get-go, that the unrest would not have occurred, period. That Tyler Girth would still be alive, McAtee would still be alive, so on and so forth. Oh, yeah, that whole David McAtee situation was hardcore. I mean, you send those officers down there. For to, what? Yeah. And let's be honest, Andy Bashir, he's the only one that can send National Guard, Kentucky National Guard, anywhere. So blood is on both of their hands. So the mayor has to get the thumbs up from him. He says, okay, we're going to send them. And then the mayor tells them where to go. How would they know anything about 26th and Broadway? And just like, um, you know, David James said, if these were white people, would they just start shooting rubber bullets or would they just walk up to him and say, hey, you guys got to go? Well, there, there you have it. Speak to them. These are humans. So, folks, you are listening to uh, On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and uh, we're broadcasting from the top of the Hapen Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM. Now, you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And if you do that, um, you can click on a button, and we're live streaming, and you can listen to us uh, uh, anywhere in the country, uh, anywhere in the world. So, uh, folks, we've got uh, Mila here uh, talking about, uh, you know, sort of where Louisville is, uh, where Kentucky is, uh, where the country is. Um, so, uh, any positive notes for, for Louisville and uh, Kentucky? 
most positive thing? I do think when it comes to organizing and mobilizing because of the unfortunate situation, there are a lot more people that know each other now, that are in contact with each other now, that are working with each other now, that haven't before, you know. And then once again, because of the unfortunate nature of what has been going on, people do know that, okay, now it's time to seek alternatives. So like I said earlier, one of those alternatives is just moving to another country, which isn't a a bad thing, you know, for the people who have traveled to different African countries. They had nothing but positive things to say, you know, and repatriation means something different for different people. But for black people, it means going back to Africa. Let's think about this as a viable option because there's already thousands of African-Americans already over there kicking it. They waiting for us. They're over there building apartment complexes, hotels, restaurants. They're doing so much, and they're just waiting for us to come, and I'm ready. Folks, um, we've been here today with uh, uh, Mila, and thank you so much, and uh, that's our show. <laughs>